and turn to Genesis chapter 26. Genesis chapter 26. When you get there, look at verse 18. Hey, so last week, not many of you know this, but last week, you got to live out in your own lives the very message that we wanted to share with you by way of preaching and teaching. On a last-minute word from Holy Spirit himself, there was no sermon or preaching last week. Just totally fine. He did a whole lot of speaking just himself directly to you. We had a few powerful words of knowledge and words of wisdom shared last Sunday. We had a great, powerful manifestation of his presence right here in the room. And many lives were changed in our, this congregational meeting last week. But we want to show you, first of all, before we get into much all of the stuff that Pastor Landon and I really have for you today, we want to give you some context for where you started at last week. In Genesis chapter 26, verse 18, it says, Then Isaac dug again the wells of water, which had been dug in the days of his father Abraham. For the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham. And he gave them the same names which his father had given them. But when Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found there a well of flowing water, the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with the herdsmen of Isaac, saying, The water is ours. So he named the well Isaac, because they contended with him. Then they dug another well, and they quarreled over it too, so he named it Sitna. He moved away from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it. So he named it Rehoboth. For he said, at last the Lord has made room for us, and we will be fruitful in the land. Come on, receive that today. Then he went up from there to Beersheba. The Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bless you and I will multiply your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. So, verse 25, and here it is. So he built a what? He built an altar. What's the second thing that he built? Then he pitched his, his tent. And lastly... It says, and there Isaac's servants dug a well. Last Sunday was a demonstration that every one of us got to live out loud of setting up an altar in a place. And it's not that any of us have never done that before. It's not that it was our first time. It's not that it was unfamiliar, but there was a great reminder that God had been speaking to some of the leaders here 
in our moments with him, taking us back to a first year revelation that he gave with Pastor Mike and even some other brothers from outside of this church within the one association that came in and shared on these things too. And it was showing the power of what it means to go back and redig your father's wells. And in this case, the, the main thing that he really laid on our hearts was first, first, say first, first you build an altar. First you build an altar. Not just build an altar, first you build an altar. And then you pitch a tent. And next week, we'll get to share with you about digging a well. But today, we're going to talk about pitching a tent. Are you guys excited? In verse 25, it gives us the exact order of how to do these things. Altar. Tent, well. Altar, built by Isaac. Tent, set up by Isaac. Well, dug by his servants. Isn't that interesting? Now, church, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 15, it says, For if you were to have countless tutors in Christ, yet you would not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I became your father through the gospel. Therefore I exhort you to be imitators of me. For this reason I sent you Timothy, who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord. And he will remind you of my ways which are in Christ. Just as I teach everywhere in every church. Can I tell you how important it is to have weeks like last week? Are you guys tracking with me? Where you're not just getting a good teaching. You're, everybody here gets more good teachings than what you know to do with. We could thoroughly teach and preach through on the same thing for a month. And our retention rate would still be quite small because not all of these things are perceived in the mind. They are in your spirit, man. And so whenever Paul says, I'm sending you, Timothy, to show you my way of life that I teach about in every church, it comes to show you only really need to teach things a couple times. You have an initial revelation and a sharing of it, and then you have occasional reminders because we all need reminders, right? But what you need is a display. And the display for last week's topic that you didn't know was being preached on by Holy Spirit himself was to build an altar. And so what Isaac did as a leader of the people of his household is he went and set up an altar that was his altar first, but became the community altar. It became the community place of meeting with Adonai. Is that not what happened in all of your lives and in my life? One man came with his family. He sets up and shares his personal place of meeting with the Lord. And then you get invited into it. Some came traveling in as camp. Others quickly came and joined after they found out what was happening. And then it became a what? A family. Is that not exactly exactly 
what the Apostle Paul says here about Timothy. I'm sending to you the man who has become my son because of the gospel. Paul has a meeting with the Lord, and then Paul now has family in the kingdom. Now, what we want to share with you guys today is this very progression of the necessity of the necessity of having inter, not just interaction, but genuine communion with the Lord. And don't make that such a spiritual word. Don't make it such a spiritual word. We're talking about just sitting down and eating a meal. Just like Kendall and I would go over to Avery and Kaylee's house and we would sit at the table and we would just laugh and tell stories and have fun and talk about the crazy things that happened this week. And then we would be filled up from our families just getting to be with each other and we'd go home. And then be excited for the next time. Kendall and I got a surprise one of those with the tea kills yesterday. <laughs> We're talking about just that quality time. We're talking about sitting on the couch until 1.30, 2 o'clock in the morning, spending quality time together because you would rather have less sleep and have communion than have more sleep and live the whole, your whole life shallow with everything and everyone, especially the Lord. I will give up my sleep for Dylan T. Kell any day. Any day. If it means another hour with that brother, I will do it. I'll do it for some of you, too. But, but that guy's a man of God. <laughs> well, hey, Pastor Landon's going to start showing you right here in Genesis chapter 26 and even show you in some other places just what it means to then set up a tent. Because whenever you actually build an altar... Real families built around it. We're not talking about a loose association or a loose confederacy of connection between people or just membership in a church. We're not talking about that. That's what the church has given most of us for the last several decades, and we are calling an end to it. People can say and call us whatever they want. We're actually going to have a real family here. And for most of us in this room, we're going to find out that it's more real family than even the families which we came from. And then we're going to prophetically call those families into it. Amen? Come on, Pastor Landon. Tell us why do we need tents? Listen. Repeat after me. Say, where your altar is... There you, will call home. there you will call home. Do it one more time. Where your altar is, there, your altar is. There, you will call home. there you will call home. Our message this morning is titled, Home is Where the Altar Is. Home is Where the Altar Is. As Pastor Kaysen said, today we're going to be talking about the second phase in Genesis 26. And that's tents, that Isaac pitched a tent. Verse 25 says, So he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. Then his servants dug a well. Isaac builds the altar. The Lord meets him at the altar. Step one. Step two, Isaac pitches his tent at the place that he built the altar. Where the Lord now resided with him because he built the altar. We're going to walk you through a, a four-step progression this morning of why tents are important and why yours should be set up in the place where your altar is. Point number one, we're going to hop right into it. 
Point number one is family is built where men meet with God. Family is built where men meet with God. The whole reason you need to tent is to build a family. Again, the whole reason you need a cover over your head is if you have a family. Listen, single men can rough it. Now, y'all live in a nice house now. If you lived by yourself and you had to, you'd be fine on a sleeping bag in the front yard. Or the cave of Adullam. Or the cave itself. (laughs) My point being is a few of you single men are about to have families of your own. Which then means that you no longer just get the luxury or the benefit of being single and just sleeping outside. You now have to provide a roof for your wife's head and your future children. You need to build a tent to cover yourself and your new family from the elements. And this morning we're here to tell you that tent needs to be pitched around. Listen, for you to properly set up a tent around the altar, you first have to make the altar your home. We're going to walk you through a couple different passages within this first point that will help us understand why we would need a tent. What is a tent for? A tent's for family, friends, disciples, or making family. Pitch that. As, we'll, as some will discover here really soon. The tent comes from making the altar your personal home. Listen, we spent quite a bit of time the past, uh, a short bit ago, a couple weeks ago now, in Judges 6 for a couple weeks. And in Judges 6, towards the end of the chapter, there's the account of the Lord meeting with Gideon. And I'm going to read you a snippet of it here out of Judges 6, in verses 19 through 24. It says, so Gideon went into his house and prepared a young goat and unleavened cakes from an ephah of flour. The meat he put in a basket and the broth he put in a pot and brought them to him under the terebinth and presented them. And the angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened cakes and put them on this rock and pour the broth over them. And he did so. The angel of the Lord reached out to the tip of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened cakes, and fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the cakes. And the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. Then Gideon perceived that he was an angel of the Lord. And Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace be to you, do not fear, you shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it the Lord is peace. And to this day it still stands at Oprah, which belongs to the Abiezrites. Gideon set up an altar. And that same night that he set up the altar, according to scripture, he received powerful direction for his life. Right on the back of setting up his altar, he received direction that he was severely needing. And he might not even know he needed it. But whether you want direction on your calling, single men, single women, who you're going to marry, parents, direction how to raise your kids, or direction for your next step within the family of the body of Christ, 
All purpose, direction, and satisfaction is found at the altar. Your meeting place with him. As Pastor Kaysen alluded to, this is what I first saw when I walked in the doors of Remnant Church. A small group of men and women who communed with God and were led daily by his presence in all aspects of his life. If the Lord didn't tell them to do it, they were not going to do it. I've never lived like that before. So walking in, I didn't quite understand what that meant for myself personally. But when I walked in, there was already an altar set up. My brothers had set up an altar for themselves, the way that we're going to continue to show you how to do for you. And they had a tent around their altar, and they invited me and my wife into their tent. And as my wife and I walked with them, and as we got close to their altar, we received direction for our family at the altar. And that led to pitching a tent for ourselves. That led to a need for me to pitch a tent for my family at the altar. It's one thing for you to come into my tent with my family and spend time at the altar with us. It's another thing for you to have your own that you can then invite your friends and family into. See, most of the time we just want to build. Build a family, build a house, whatever it is, a career, and then ask the Lord to fill it and bless the work of our hands. That's backwards. Isaac set up the altar first. He set up his place with the Lord first. Disciple in the making. <laughs> From that secret altar, your secret meeting place with the Lord, comes direction, guidance, and marching orders for men of God regarding what to put your hands to, when to do it, and where to do it. All the fathers of the faith, starting with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Joshua, Gideon, the list goes on. The altars where they started gaining direction on how to build their families and why they needed to build them in the first place. The other account from the scriptures is one that we pretty much just lived out and we're going to continue to live out after this. And it's out of Luke 7. One encounter in, in Judges 6 is so Gideon can get direction and marching orders for his life. This encounter out of Luke 7 is a bit more intimate. I'm going to read it to you. It's Luke 7:36, starting in 36. It says, Afterwards, Simeon, a Jewish religious leader, asked Jesus to his home for dinner. Jesus accepted the invitation. When he went into Simeon's house, he took place at the table. In the neighborhood, there was an immoral woman of the streets, known to all to be a prostitute. And when she heard that Jesus was at Simeon's house... She took an exquisite flask made from alabaster, filled it with the most expensive perfume, went right into the home of the Jewish leader, and in front of all the guests, knelt at the feet of Jesus. Broken and weeping, she covered his feet with tears that fell from her face. She kept crying and drying his feet with her long hair, and over and over again she kissed his feet. Then as an act of worship, she opened her flask and anointed his feet with her costly perfume. A few verses later, Jesus is speaking to Simeon, a religious leader who has a problem with this. Because apparently Jesus doesn't realize how wicked this woman is that he's meeting with. 
Simeon's got a problem, and Jesus corrects him, and he says, Then he spoke to Simeon about the woman still weeping at his feet. Do you see this woman kneeling here? She's doing for me what you did not bother to do. When I entered your home as your guest, you didn't think about offering me water to wash the dust off my feet. Yet she came into your home, uninvited, and washed my feet with her many tears, and then dried them with her hair. You didn't even welcome me into your home with the customary kiss of greeting, but from the moment I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't take the time to anoint my head with fragrant oil, but she anointed my head and the feet with the finest of oils. She has been forgiven for her many sins. This is why she has shown me such extravagant love. But those who assume they have very little to be forgiven for will love me very little. Then Jesus said to the woman at his feet, all your sins are forgiven. All the dinner guests among themselves said, who is this who can even forgive sins? Then Jesus said to the woman, your faith in me has given you life. Now you may leave and walk in the ways of peace. This encounter is a bit different than Gideon in Judges 6. But Gideon and the, the prostitute in Luke 7 both met face to face with Jesus. And none, not one is better than the other. They're both face to face with Jesus. But this is what living at an altar looks like. This is, could be what it looks like after you get the business out of the way, after you've gotten your marching orders. You know, in Exodus 33, it says that Moses and Joshua went into the tent of meeting. After Moses had received his orders, he left, but Joshua lingered. Joshua didn't want to leave because there was something so satisfying about the presence of God, nothing else could be as satisfying as face to face with Jesus. This is what our lives are supposed to look like. I don't believe there are many in this room who desire, or I'm sorry, I don't believe there are many in this room who have an issue seeking the Lord for answers to all of our questions. I think non-believers do that. But I do believe that there are many of us in this room who desire this type of altar time with Jesus more often. And as we start to lay the groundwork for this message and what we want to share with you today, this is the first step as to why you need to pitch a tent in the first place. To pitch a tent, to build a family, your life needs to look something like this. Because to pitch a tent, it needs to be built around the altar, and this is what the altar looks like. Families built, or in Gideon's case, his family was restored, where men meet with God. I didn't have an altar before I walked in the remnant church. But when I started to participate at an altar set before me with my brothers and meet with God, I took it back to my house and built an altar for me and my wife, and it led to God blessing our marriage, making it fruitful, causing us to fall deeper in love with each other and with Jesus, bringing children forth that we did not just ask for off the top of the bat. He took me from a place of my brother's altar, gave me an altar, and then gave me a family because I had pitched a tent around an altar. Which leads into our next point, case in point number two. Whenever, whenever you have a desire to see 
an improvement in your marriage, to see the character of Jesus himself rise up in your children, to see breakthrough as it pertains to whatever it is, whatever circumstances you're going through in your life, financial, emotional, medical, all of them. You are going to have to build an altar. And if you feel like your spouse isn't doing it, you go and build an altar. You go and build an altar. Wives in the room, do not sit there and say, well, that's my husband's job. Do not say that. Of course it's his job. But if you feel like he's not doing it, get up and build an altar and watch what the presence of God will do in him and in you. And then you will have everything that your heart has desired in Christ Jesus. I don't care what gender you are. I don't care how old you are. I don't care if you're married or not. You go home and you build an altar because that's the only place you will ever find real family of God at. Ever. I've been in church my entire, my entire, my entire life. And any time I was a part of a community of people where life was not built around the altar, with the altar being the centerpiece, communion with God, time with Him, His very presence, His throne right in the middle, and we're all orbiting around it. If that was not the case, everybody betrayed each other. Every single time people betray each other, not real family. They stab each other in the back, they gossip, they slander, and they steal from one another. And they ditch the second they get uncomfortable. That's not family. But real family is built in covenant in the meeting place with God. And whenever you have a family now that you have to build and rebuild sometimes, houses to house, you start to get some further revelation. And that's that the altar in your tent has to be like the altar that's in between all of our tents. Understand, understand this here. You have to have an altar lifestyle inside of your own home that you go home to. What does that mean that this is? That means that Remnant Church is a family of families. A family of families. There are tents with a tent covering over the tents. Think about that. That is what the ecclesia is. That's how we're meant to operate together. We are under a covering together. And yes, you all within that have your own coverings. Moms, dads, husbands, and wives of your own homes. And we're telling you that there is an altar that all of us come together in the congregational meetings. Right? On Sundays and prayer meetings and all those places. And those are great. And there is nothing wrong with any of them. But that's not the only place that you go to meet with him. Part of the reason you have a tent is so that you can go home in the privacy of your own home. Not his home, not his home, not my home or RV, not his home. But in your house, 
That's why you have a tent. And whenever the Bible instructs us to first build the altar, it's important that we do these things in order because many of you in the room today have found yourself at a place where you already started building your house and that altar, that meeting with him is not the center of your lives. I'm not saying it's not shoved in the corner somewhere. I'm just saying it's not the center point of your life. That everything you do orbits around meeting with him. Everything. Your work decisions, your money decisions, your relationship decisions, where you go to church out, who your friendships are, who you should be friends with and not be friends with, your influences, your taste in music, everything. I mean everything. Orbiting around him. You know what becomes really difficult when you build the tent first is now you got to try to find a way to fit the altar in the middle of it. And you know what that's going to require? Cleaning house. And nobody wants to do that. Nobody wants to go and empty out their tent of everything it has and then even question if the tent is big enough to fit his presence in the middle of it. Kendall can tell you, we started shopping for a home. Many of y'all remember this. We had like 15 people just at the house showing itself, right? This was our tent building process. We had an altar in our family, in our marriage, inside of our home already. So what did he then give us? He said, Kaysen, Kendall, you are not going to go put yourself in a trailer home out on an acre lot in Justin for as cheap as you can get and save up your dollars. I don't want your dollars. I want your altar to be a place where other people are brought to. I received this revelation as we were reading this together. Absolutely crazy. An altar was set up in our family first. We meet with him and then we go shopping for houses. And we are very prayerful about it. And I'm like, Lord, we want to be frugal. We want to be good stewards. Not the same thing, by the way. Just, that's another conversation, but not the same thing. We want to, but it's what we said. We said we want to be frugal and we want to be good stewards. So, would you please give us an opportunity to get something nice, but very, very, very cheap because we have college debt and everything else. Well, we went, out, we went out on a specific budget, and we went shopping for a home, and the Lord speaks to us, you are looking for something too small, and you are being selfish. Yeah. What? I'm trying to give every dollar of my life to your kingdom, Lord. I'm trying to save every dollar that I can to give to you, and he's like, I don't want your dollars. Glad Zadok think that's funny. It was very difficult for me to understand at the time. He was building a house for me because we actually had an altar at the middle. He went, we extended our budget like $85,000 more, maybe even $100,000 more. And it was the complete, like the mortgage company had to extend their limit for us to be able to get the house that he told us to get. And what was really confusing is whenever you move into a home and you don't have a baby coming that you thought was coming. So you're like, Lord, what are you doing? He filled our house and many, a third of you in this room lived in that house at some point. 
Whenever we get an opportunity to do this, he brings family into your altar, into your meeting place, and everybody becomes family. And it's not just about you and your wife anymore. It's not just about you and your wife. Hear that, soon-to-be married people. It's not just about you and your wife. It's not just about you and your wife. It's about a family being built, the presence of God inside of your home. In Exodus 33, it describes this. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, a good distance from the camp. And he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. And it came about whenever Moses went out to the tent that all the people would arise and stand each at the entrance of his own tent and gaze after Moses after he entered that tent. Something peculiar about men whose tents actually have the presence of God in it. It gets really interesting and you stand there at the opening of yours wondering if you're allowed over there or if you can have the same thing in yours that's over there. Whichever one it is, I would run to that tent first and then up the way of life and then run back and bring it back to yours. Whenever Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent. And the Lord would speak with Moses. When all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would arise and worship each at the entrance of his tent. That's good. That's good. The tent of meeting would be better, but at the entrance of your tent is good too. Thus the Lord used to speak with Moses face to face. That's interesting because uh, panim kind of means both face and altar at the same time. Just as a man would speak with his friend. That's genuine communion. We're not talking about the crackers and grape juice at your Baptist church communion. We're talking about communion. I mean meeting with him like a friend. Not religious, like a friend. When Moses returned to the camp, his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. That is what generational ministry looks like, y'all. It looks like sons not wanting to depart, to depart from the tent, even if dad leaves a little earlier. Not because dad was doing something wrong. He's like, I just can't get enough of it. This way of life that dad set up for me, I can't get enough of it. I want more. I want more of him. But check this out. It said it there in Exodus, and it also says this here in Numbers. Numbers chapter 2, verse 1 says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, The sons of Israel shall camp, each by his own standard, a flag that was stuck up in the air representing each tribe of Israel. With the banners of their father's households, they shall camp around the tent of meeting. But it says, at a distance. Now, what part of Yahweh's character has ever really actually wanted you to stay at a distance? It would take 
some further study together, but we could explain to you thoroughly while, why, why there were times when God said, do not approach this mountain. Do not approach the foot of this hill. Do not come into this place or into this building. But without getting into that, I just need you to understand today that Strong's number H5048 is the word that in your Bible is likely translated at a distance. Guess what? It doesn't mean at a distance. Even the NASB gets it wrong sometimes. That word is naked. Say naked. <laughs> Why are y'all people who are about to get married chuckling over here? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> The word neged is, means that you are before the eyes of someone, that you are facing someone or something, that your positioning is relative to that other thing or that other person face-to-face -face with it. It does not mean far away. Now, without getting into Hebrew grammar, there is a case in which one could describe that as a little further away, but it does not mean stay over there. Tents are always a place of meeting. Tents are always a place of meeting. Meeting with friends, meeting with family, meeting with your spouse, meeting with the presence of God himself. The model shown in Exodus is that which was shown among all of the patriarchs as well. Even then, it is less about generational patterns, culture, or anything like that. When Yahweh sets up a place to meet with him or instructs men to build a place for others to come and meet with him, he always intends he, for anything that is built around it to face it. You've heard it said that a devout Jew will pray towards Jerusalem. Why does a Jew pray towards Jerusalem? Like, well, because it's Jerusalem. That's the religious spirit thing that we're getting rid of. It's not just about Jerusalem. Why is Jerusalem important? Jerusalem was important because, and that practice was, was picked up by men like Daniel, who were off in the distance in Babylon, in Persia, Median Persia, and he's looking and he's praying in the direction of Jerusalem, facing it. Neged, facing it. Face to face, even if it is a distance, he is up. He is facing it like this because that's where the presence of God, the altar was at. It's not just about the city. It's about the presence that has filled the tent of the city. And that's where he prays facing every day. Do you always pray facing his presence or do you pray more like this? We've been talking about a lot of looking in the eyes and face-to-face -face stuff, and that is the place where you actually end up communing with them. Most of us do suggestive prayers like, well, Lord, I mean, if you want to, I mean, I love you. What is your will? I want to please your heart. I want to be with you all the days of my life, and I want to look at you like this every step of the way. This is the positioning that is the word neged. 
When we must become a people, church, who have the same meeting place in our homes that we do in the middle of the camp. This right here, the room you're in, wherever it goes, geographically, this community, this assembly is the altar at the middle of the camp. No one man owns it. It's not only under the governance of any one man. It's everyone's responsibility to show up to it and to meet with God. Amen? We must become leaders, fathers, and mothers who are not intimidated by the genuine power of another person's altar lifestyle. Leader, church leaders are not exempt from this. When you start getting intimidated because someone else's life of communion might be more genuine than yours, then maybe you should go and start meeting with him in a more genuine way. You guys in here should not be intimidated because a leader or another family in this church has a more genuine altar lifestyle than you do. Just go and meet with them in their tent and you'll pick it up too. If they really have an altar lifestyle in their tent, they'll show you how to build an altar in your house. Otherwise, it's not the real thing. If it forces you to have to come to their house, it's not the real thing. If you can only get blessed with the presence of God under their roof, it's not the real thing. But there's something special about everyone coming together, even though they don't have to out of need, but because they want to and they want to experience the fullness of the kingdom that we come and we meet at this altar right here in the community. We have to neged. We have to be a people who are facing him so that whenever we are setting up our tents in this camp, your, each of your individual homes, my individual home, in this camp of people, that we are all facing his presence. You ready for point number three? This one's going to be a lot of fun. Point number three is the permanence of a nomad home. Say, say, say that again. The permanence of a nomad home. Now, if you were like me three days ago when, I was, when we were studying, when you think of a nomadic Christian or nomadic Christianity as a whole, it might bug you a little bit. You probably tend to think of non-committal Christians who church hop or fire chase from place to place. Wherever they think God's moving, that's where they want to go. Non-committal, flaky, as soon as something offends them, they're out the door, right? When we say nomadic Christianity, we're talking about living in a tent around an altar wherever that altar may be. Pastor Kaysen said it. We don't have to be in this wedding venue. Matter of fact, we won't be as of next week. But we don't have to be here to meet in this fashion. Fire chases, man. Fire chases go (laughs) participate at an altar that's already been built where the Lord's residing and where he's moving. Think about Asbury months ago. 
How many thousands of people went to Asbury? Maybe because they didn't have an altar where they were at. Or maybe because the one they were at, maybe they thought it was just getting a little stale because it didn't quite look like that. Fire chasers. An altar is a place where you're fully satisfied in the presence of your father. An altar is a place where, like Moses, you receive marching orders. Like Gideon, you receive direction. And then if you're like Joshua, after you receive the marching orders, you hang out and linger with the Lord and you commune with him because you want to. Yeah. Because you can. Because the Lord, like, unlike religious corporate meetings, does not put a time limit on how much time you can spend with him. Oh, he doesn't say, okay, you can meet with me from 10 a.m. to 12 p.m., then you got to go get lunch, then you got to go watch the football game, and then you got to come back at 7 o'clock, meet with me for an hour and a half, then go home and go to bed because you got work the next day. God doesn't operate like that. That's what it looks like to cram your altar into your crap filled tent that's what that looks like I'm being appropriate today hallelujah that's what it looks like y'all we have lived these kinds of lifestyles before and we are seeing a breakthrough in our own lives and in the families that we came from and our friends that we came from and everything and we're all seeing a corporate revelation that has nothing to do with either one of us that says, I am tired of cramming God into the box that I already built for him. Let me ask you this. For those of you who had the opportunity to live with Pastor Kaysen and, and Miss Kendall, when we were around that altar on the floor weeping like newborns, did you ever want to just get up and leave because the fire somewhere else looks brighter than it was on that floor? Heck no. Those of you who have made Remnant Church your home, or the Lord's told you to be here, and we have sweet times in worship like we did today or we did last week, or we have good messages and good fellowship throughout the week, do you ever just want to leave because something just seems bigger and brighter over there? No, because the Lord called you here, and this is enough. The altar is enough. Our altar is enough. We don't need the neighbor's altar. Doesn't mean we cannot go fellowship with the neighbors at their altar. They can't come here. Amen. Tent to tent. We're nomadic. But we have an altar that satisfies every desire that we could ever have. When we operate in the mindset of how we usually do regarding nomadic Christianity, chopping, fire chasing, we missed out on the progression the Lord told Isaac back in Genesis 26 where we started. Build an altar for yourself, pitch your tent, and everyone together dig the well. Saints, we are not tied to a building, praise the Lord. This is why we can have church in a pawn shop, or in a rec center, or in a house on a five acre property, or in a CrossFit gym, or in a new sanctuary to come. Hallelujah. Or maybe one day, good Lord be willing in a building that seats thousands of people. I don't know. I, I don't plan on being right, here Pastor. for that long, but <laughs> maybe. 
We could have church in an actual tent if we wanted to. We've talked about that before. Yes. This is because home is where the altar is. The altar is not built where the home is. We're not tied to building, we're tied to the altar. God's people in the wilderness for 40 years were homeless. They were obviously not tied to a place. But they were tied to the presence of God. And it was the presence of God and the benefits they had with them from the Lord being in his presence that gave them what they had to have to make it. What they had to have to survive the 40 years, he provided it in his presence, not a dwelling place of their own. You get direction for your life at an altar, to build your family at the altar, and if the Lord sends you somewhere else on the planet, you build an altar there and you build a family of families in that place. Yeah. For a second, let's dig further into the permanence of a nomad home. What do we mean when we say that? Don't let that confuse you when we say permanence. We tend to think of nomads as homeless. But we're going to start shifting our mindset out of the place of homelessness, homelessness and practicality and start thinking about the progression the Lord laid out for Isaac. This is something funny I found. Listen to how the Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines a nomad. It's kind of contradictory if you ask me. It literally defines a nomad as a person who is part of a nomadic community that has no fixed or permanent home. <laughs> That's a, you. <laughs> a, person, a person that is part of a nomadic body of people but they're homeless, no permanent home. You know what they do have? A family. Regardless of how good that family might be, they have a family. A place to call home within a community of people. Nomadic. We're telling you this morning that his presence with his people is your permanent home, regardless of where that is on a map. This is what living in one family of a large family like. Your permanent home is not where you live right now. For some of you, you want to go other places. Yes, he might have told you to go there, and you might go set up a tent somewhere. Yes, he might have you in Denton right now to cultivate the work he's doing here at this altar. Not only is your permanent home not he might send you later. Our permanent home is with his presence, with his people built around the altar. Living at our walk with him nomadically, it unlocks inside of us a supernatural ability to move when God wants us to move and move where he wants us to move. Say that again. Living out our walk nomadically with Jesus unlocks in us a supernatural ability to allow the Lord to move us where he wants to and to move us when he wants to. Together. Not by yourself. If we are willing to settle where he settles us, regardless of for how long, then it allows us to be led by his spirit at all times. 
and move freely as he directs us to. We've let go of the reins. We're living life nomadically, saying, Lord, you are my home. You might place me within this body at this altar or this body at this altar. But you actually, you know what's really cool? Is that for those of you who are part of this altar now and are going to other nations, and you will, just because you set up an altar there and build an altar there and build a family there doesn't mean you don't have family here. Yeah, come on. It means that wherever the Lord places you, if you do it right, and you allow him to do it the way that he desires to do it, he blesses you with family all over the globe. Yeah. Which means that when Christopher goes to Turkey, which he will, he's not considered home. He might not, the day he gets there, have a physical tent to live in. But he's got a community of people and a presence of his father that he consistently resides in that is his home. He's got home here. And when he goes with brothers, he has home there. Never alone. Listen, my family's called to Denton. From, from what I know. At this altar. If he were to ever tell me otherwise, which I have not heard from him yet, my heart's still here. And my family's still here. Because that's where he last told me to build it. My sons and daughters will be raised at this altar. I know that one day the Lord's going to call them and send them out. And it might mean I don't get to go with them permanently. They will always have family here. Jeez, man. That's tough. And regardless of whether I'm here in Denton or not, you guys are here. And their family is you guys. Listen, Paul had this down well. Uh, first, actually, I want to brag on the Hutchinson family for a second because they did this rightly before we move on. They did this rightly. What we're talking about today is why the Hutchinson family can move from a family built around an altar in Louisiana to go to Houston to continue their growth in another family built around an altar, then go to Chicago to help establish a family in the process of being built around an altar, to then being called to Denton, Texas to establish for themselves an altar and build a family for themselves around it. Now, listen to that progress, that progression right there. Each movement that the Hutchinson family did went from a community of people in, in Houston who had an altar, a family, and really truly for next week, also a well. God sent them to Chicago, outside of Chicago, Crystal Lake. There was an altar, but family hadn't been formed around it yet. Men and women were meeting with God, for real. But they had to learn how to bring the family unit into that and then start to multiply around it, right? And then they got entrusted with building the altar 
building the family, showing others how to build families, and being a part of an entire movement of many peoples and many families that are getting instructions from the Lord on how to dig all the wells. Do you see the progression of how in their family, and the same thing can be for your family too, you're entrusted with a little more, a little more, and a little more. This is exactly the model that we see in Genesis chapter 26 and in others. Look, Paul had this understanding down well. We're starting to wind down this point of being nomadic. He consistently sent men or part of his family or men that had become family to him to help set up altars in other places and other churches around what they knew was the world at the time. He sent them to other churches and other brothers who needed what they had and the lifestyle they had and the tools to get it done. Ephesians 6.21 says, Paul says, so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing Tychius, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and he may encourage your heart. Colossians 4, 7 through 9, also, Tychius was popular, Tychicus, sorry. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He's my beloved brother and faithful minister as a fellow servant in the Lord. I've sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are, and he may encourage your hearts. And this time I'm sending with him a brother. He's not coming alone. Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother who is one of you, they will tell you everything that's taking place here at our altar. Those are just a few examples. You can read throughout the epistles, and Paul does it at least once a, once a book. Paul was a man who understood the permanence of nomadic Christianity. He was a man who was confident that when he raised up sons, he could send them anywhere to anybody, knowing that home is where the altar is. Home's not where the heart is, maybe. And yeah, my heart's here. If I ever went anywhere else, this is still home. But home is where my altar is. So if I go, my heart, I have heartstrings here, I have family here, but my altar comes with me. And that becomes my home that I have to build a family and build a tent around. And when you start to walk through these progressions and, and you start to become nomadic in your thinking and your, and your ability to move, when the Lord says move, we start to align our mindset with the one Isaac was given in Genesis 26. And then you start to realize that you have a permanent home within the community of believers regardless of your geographical location, which is what's really important. We'll move on to our fourth and final point, which Pastor Kaysen's going to knock it out of the park. Y'all know whenever like, you're flying on a plane, the Bloombergs especially know this, whenever you're flying on a plane and you're coming to a landing, you hear all of the engines like accelerate and it's like maintaining right that balance of where it's at and then you just hit the ground running. That's what we're going to do right here. Listen to this. Our fourth point and final point is more of an exciting prophetic inspiration to each one of you. 
to go and live this out that we've been talking about today. In Isaiah chapter 54, verses 1 through 3, it says, Shout for joy, O barren one. You who have borne no child, break forth into joyful shouting and cry aloud. You have not travailed. For the sons of the desolate, the sons of the desolate one, will be more numerous than the sons of the married woman, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent. Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. Spare not. Don't even bother investing in anything else other than this. Spare not. This is your entire life, your whole family, everything you're hoping for, everything you're desiring for. It's where your family is. It's where your work is. It's where you meet with God at. It's everything. Spare not. Lengthen your cords and strengthen the pegs. For you will spread abroad to the right and to the left, and your descendants will possess nations and will resettle the desolate cities. We have worked from today, building a family where men meet with God, and that led to the necessity of building a home or a tent, and then taking the culture of the community altar and living it out in the privacy of your own home or your own tent. Do you have the same culture in your bedroom and in your living room and in your personal office space that we have right here? If there's any difference at all, we got some work to do. Then we talked about within taking that culture of the community altar and moving it into the privacy of your own home. This showed us that the corporate movement and the personal movement not only must look similar, but they must work hand in hand. The corporate movement shows you a way of life. It feeds you. The personal intent lifestyle of of being those who love his presence now produces a new kind of life in you. The reason many Christians are not full of life and zeal and passion and vision and everything else is because they do not have that degree of presence that they know they should have inside their home. And it's not this mystical thing. It's him. Go and set up an environment for him to come and meet with you because you want him there and he wants to be there. But most of us are trying to shut the door on him. He knocks at the door. You now then become, you now then come to the corporate altar, this right here, with bread to share, potluck style, instead of coming like a beggar for another man's bread from his altar or table of presence, or table of his face. Think about that. It's okay in adolescent years to come and eat bread from someone else's table. But there comes a day whenever you see people in their older years standing out waiting for someone else to give them the things that are readily available to them right there at a fingertips grasp right there you got to reach out put in a little effort and it's right there that starts to look awkward to you right 
It does in the church. It looks especially more awkward in the church whenever after so many years, there is still not a personal meeting place in a family's own home the way that there is one in the community. That starts to become bad discipleship and bad leadership after some time if it's not corrected, if it's not talked about. We have to have them in both places. Then we talked about the permanence of a nomadic home. The word nomadic, as you may perceive nomadic, is probably incorrect. Nomadic is an ability to be flexible, to move as the Lord says move, as Pastor Landon said. Nomadic does not give permission to Christians to be noncommittal and flaky with one another. Nomadic does not negate familial connection between families. Familial connection between families. We are, in fact, a family of families. A nomadic tent dwelling people rely less on their brick-and-mortar structures, institutions, and systems because they rely more on being near his presence and near to one another. You don't need all of the money that the big churches have because we can accomplish it together even without money. And then if the Lord wants to bless it with money, then great, but we aren't dying without it. Take that, Allstate. We'll accomplish it together, empowered by the presence of God. I'm excited to get back to the property. And now we're going to look into the way that when you set up a tent in the presence of God, He doesn't just add more tents to your camp. He actually puts more within your tent. Prophesy, come on. That means children, hallelujah, disciples, sons and daughters in the faith, and even the orphan and the widow. To take someone into your tent means something entirely different than just setting up another tent next door to you. Those are different things. We can even feel the difference within the one association of churches. We're all brothers. We all love each other. When we get together, we do not sleep at all, the whole time. If it's your first time, bring... Oh, Lots this October? Of, yeah. Yeah. Red Bull, five-hour <laughs> energy pills, whatever. And both, most importantly, the Holy Ghost. Yeah. Listen, both are good. Both are good. Being neighbors and being family are both good, but they're two different things. One is a neighbor. Mark 12, 28 says, One of the scribes came to him and heard them arguing and recognizing that he had answered them well, asked him, What commandment is the foremost of all? Jesus answered, The foremost is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Verse 31, the second is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment than these. But what about John 14, 1? Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house, in my Father's house, there are many dwelling places. <laughs> it's not just bedrooms either. It's like one huge tent with a bunch of tents underneath it. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare that place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. If you do it here, you're going to get to do it forever. 
But if you spend the rest of your quote-unquote Christian life ignoring his presence, but just going to church every week, you're going to find yourself very displeased with what the rest of eternity looks like. He says, if I go to prepare that place, you're going with me. Verse 4, and now you, and you know, that you may know the way where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way. I am the center of your camp. I am the way. You don't need to face over there or over there or over there. You need to face inward, right to the center, and you'll know exactly where to go. This is all a converging onto one, one man, one God himself that we're all converging into, not going out all over here. Notice how this no longer talks about a tent, it's, but instead a home. This temporary dwelling we abide in is passing away. This skin, these clothes, these buildings, just like that, they go away. His family is forever, though, so it's going to require a house that lasts forever. If his family is forever, then it requires a house that's going to last forever because his presence is forever at the center of it. His governance is forever, and his house does not move because he is our home. We are not just a loosely connected confederation of peoples who have similar interests. There is an altar, and his covering is over it, and my tent is built inside of his. Ask yourself today, is the manifestation of his presence here among these people in this place the same among my personal family back at my tent? When we are a people who actually are partakers in his presence, his altar, his table, his panim, his face, then the blessing of his goodness on your personal life will cause others to draw near to your altar because that is where you can be found. They like you. Great. You know where you can find me? At my altar. Come hang out with me there. Come sit at my table where Jesus is sitting at a, in a chair at the table as well. You're invited to that place. And if you're going to be friends with me, you're going to meet him. He's, he's my best friend, and he, we go everywhere together. I'm going to close out with this. Isaiah chapter 2 and Isaiah chapter 54. Isaiah chapter 2 says, Now it will come about in the last days that the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains and will be raised above the hills, and all the nations will stream to it will stream to it. All the nations are going to it. There is a converging onto one place with our God. All the nations are coming to Him. And many peoples will go and say, Come, let us go up the mountain of the Lord to the house of the God of Jacob. To the tent, to the house of the God of Jacob. That He may teach us concerning His ways and that we may walk in His paths. For the law will go forth from Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he will judge between the nations and will render decisions for many peoples. And they will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation and never again will they learn war. 
This brings a whole new meaning to Isaiah chapter 54 when it says to to extend the tent cords and to spread out the tent. Isaiah 54, one more time, says this. Shout for joy, O barren one, you who have borne no child. Break forth into joyful shouting and cry aloud. You who, have not, you who have not travailed, for the sons of the desolate one will be more numerous than the sons of the married woman, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent. Remnant, we're telling you to enlarge the place of your tent. Every single family that has come to visit our church property walked into the house that we've been spending a year rebuilding, and they said it's not big enough. Every single time they say it's not big enough. God's going to fill this tent, and you're going to have to build a bigger one. I don't want to build another one. We just got built, done building this one. He's like, it doesn't matter. They're coming for his presence. You're going to need a big place. But the reason that is is because you are enlarging your tents. You are having people not come to church with you, coming to meet with God at your altar inside of your tent, and then we will have a greater tent ourselves. In Genesis chapter 26, that's how it finishes. It says, Then Abimelech, say Abimelech, Abimelech, came to Isaac. That doesn't sound like very missionary. You're not running around trying to The king came to a shepherd in his own land and said, I'm intimidated by you. He brought his financial advisor and his military advisor and says to a shepherd, I'm scared of you. Why have you come to me since you hate me and have sent me away from you, says Isaac to Abimelech. Y'all are going to have people come to you who have been rejecting you for years. You say, why have you come here to me? You rejected me 15 years ago. And they said, they say this, just what Abimelech said. We see plainly that the Lord is with you. We see plainly that the Lord is with you. So we said, let there now be an oath between us, even between you and us. And let us make a covenant with you that you will do us no harm just as we not touched you and have caused you no harm. But we've only done good to you and have sent you away in peace. You are now the blessed of the Lord. Stand up. You are now the blessed of the Lord. You are now the blessed of the Lord. You are now the blessed of the Lord. Say, I am the blessed of the Lord. One more time, loud and proud. I am the blessed Lord. Come on. We are going to be a people who in this land set up an altar, build our tents around it, enlarge our own tents, and then we're going to find out that every single person that kicked you out of the last well is going to come stand at your door and say, you are the blessed of the Lord, and I went in on it. You're the blessed of the Lord, and I want in on it. I want to be a part of this family. I want to be a part of this community. I want to be a part of what he is doing that makes it look like a family like this. Come on. Lord Jesus, we trust you with the work. We trust you with all of the details. We don't always know where we're going. We don't always know what the season brings, but we know that our tents are built around your presence. 
Our tents are built around your presence. And better yet, you have filled our homes with your presence. You have filled our marriages, our families, and our very own hearts with your presence, Lord. So Jesus, we say that in this land and in this house and this place, we will see in your name, Jesus, all of those who have rejected you stream to your presence. All of those who have rejected you and turned away from you come running and say, this people is the blessed people of the Lord. And I want to be a part of this nation of people. I want to be a part of this family of people. And Lord Jesus, we ask, we ask in your name today, for every opportunity to have the enemy sitting at our table. Because we know that whenever they sit at our altar, our table, with your presence, that there's no getting away from you. Jesus, we, we, we turn our swords into pruning hooks. We turn every weapon of carnal warfare into an opportunity to produce life in this place. We don't need to fight with anybody. We don't need to argue. We don't even need to defend ourselves against anybody. Lord Jesus, we trust you with defending us whenever we're busy producing life by your name in this land. So Jesus, as we go back in this week to come, and we're back on that very land that you've let us literally dig a well at. God, we say let every person come and find your presence in the center of our home. Not the pastors, not an apostle, not a prophet, not a teacher, not a shepherd, not an evangelist, but your presence in the middle of that home. Because then we will actually be one of the few genuine works going on in a land full of people who claim your name, Jesus. We don't want to be the ones better than the ones down the road. We just want to be your people, and that's it. And we want every soul who says they know you or does not say that they know you to come and find your presence right there in the middle of our home because that's where we've set up our altar. Lord, we love you. And in your name, Jesus, I bless every one of my friends here in this room to go home and build the same altar culture inside of their marriage against all odds lord jesus we bless them in your name that every single argument that's in their hearts right now every excuse that they've made for themselves that says we can't do it because we don't get along well enough we can't do it because we don't agree or because we don't have money because we don't have time because we're too busy all of those are removed in the name of Jesus right now. We're going to have a city of tents. We're going to have a city of tents. And it will be the light that has dawned on a dark land where people sit in agony. And we'll, we're going to see life come right here in Denton, Texas.